This is Got Punctum, a podcast exploring creative practice and the bookmaking process with contemporary photographers. I am Jay Sibylla Smith. I created this platform to share inspiration, challenges, and resources on creativity and to initiate a global dialogue. Welcome to our unscripted conversations. Welcome. Welcome to those in or on our live photo book discussion and to those joining us via our podcast, Got Punctum. Today is a special occasion and an amazing opportunity for a number of reasons. The first being my guest, photographer and professor emeritus of the School of the Museum of Fine Arts at Tufts University. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Jim Dow is with me in person in my studio. So hi, Jim. So exciting. Oh my gosh. And I haven't been in a room with him in so long. And we have the pleasure of including April M. Watson, the senior curator of photography for the Nelson Atkins Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, in our conversation. April is instrumental in the making of the book signs in writing the book essay, which places Jim within the lexicon of photography and curating the concurrent exhibition of these images now acquired and on view at the museum. And April and I are becoming BFFs after having um, reviewed together at Photo Lucida in April and then seeing each other at APAD in New York just last weekend. So welcome, April. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to join you. And Jim, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm so used to looking at April on Zoom. (laughs) That's right. That's how this book came together. Yeah. You're going to go off. So mm-hmm. I, I take a moment before we start just to take to give you a mention about this platform and that I created it to share inspiration and challenges and resources as ideas move into projects and evolve into book form. And I hope to engage and sustain an interactive dialogue on creativity. And my work is all about concept development whether I work as a curator, a teacher, a consultant, my medium is the creative process. I am especially interested in how our own observations and awareness show up in our work. It's why I created my concept-aware curriculum, and it's because I believe as visual creatives, we have a responsibility to explore how we see and why it matters. One reason I'm so excited for this conversation is because it is a rare opportunity to have a book which actually takes us on a journey of how one sees and gives us, April, the context of why it matters. And my two guests bring an incredibly expansive experience to their deeply considered views. So it is such a treat to host the two of you. So for those of you who follow my social media posts, and I do hope that is each of you in listening range, I can explain why I featured a Harry Potter film still of Alice Dumbledore today. And it's because it exemplifies the magic of how Jim Dow thinks, sees, and teaches. Anyone who knows Jim, has worked with Jim, befriends Jim, or studies with Jim, knows he has a rare and special magic. I was Jim's student a decade ago in his sought after course, The History of Photography Through Ideas. I loved it so much, I took it twice. In it, Jim guides us with ideas rather than simply outlining a chronology. In class, I witnessed Jim, just like Dumbledore, using a pensive. And if you haven't seen Harry Potter, a pensive is a wondrous cauldron and it swirls with ideas and experiences and it's used to gain further insight and to expand one's perspective. 
it allows one to consider from multiple points of view simultaneously. I would watch Jim without an invisible wand pull an idea up and out of such a cauldron for each of us to consider individually its impact and collectively its impact, who gave us this idea and how they formed it, or he would take his wand and pull an idea from his own head or from one of our heads and drop it into this vortex for consideration. So all I could think of was Dumbledore. And that photograph <laughs> is perfect because it tells you what I witnessed. And I'll tell you, Jim teaches by example. He proves there is no one way to look at anything that there is no pretense of a way to see. He does not impart knowledge, but rather shares points of viewing. He places ideas and images in historical context. He encourages you as a viewer, as well as a student, to ignite your own engine of intentional and deliberate observation, to form your own conscious awareness. He imparts a gift when he takes you on a metaphorical road trip to look closely, to consider what you see from many vantage points, to take in your singular view and to swirl it in the cauldron we all share, this moving mass of us as a culture, as a society, as a body politic, I love that this very person-oriented individual educates us about our humanity by making images that are devoid of people. Yet his images bristle with what we are about. He gives us the gift of road trips as we seek understanding and coalesce our unique way to knowing. Jim beckons his students to become, and I quote, freelance producers of intellectual property, end quote. Absolutely. <laughs> he delights in the fecundity of ideas and photography's ability to provoke a source of thinking, to initiate and sustain a lifelong pursuit of formulating your own considered ideas. I think we share a kindred thrill and wonder in the ability of art and metaphor to connect us with each other through our imaginations. This book sandwiches over 60 black and white images between two essays written by April and Jim, which forms their own travel log. This book reflects a segment of Stephen Shores, and I quote him when he says, the taste personality of a society becomes accessible to a camera, end quote. In signs, you take us through a living history, reflecting the human spirit, our industry, as you say, Jim, our flair and ingenuity. It highlights our creativity and actually cleverness. It all the while holds up the ability of messaging to be coded and to be influenced by powers that are larger than ourselves and influences. This is what I think, April, you do an amazing job of framing as well. And in your essay, you echo your personal pursuit of that. And it, it actually made me think that um, we are building as, as, as a collective, um, as we are being built. And I feel as if your vision, Jim, really makes a highlight spotlight on that very intersection. So I'm going to stop talking. It was a lot. Thanks for listening. But it was a lot to also gather you in, in an introduction. So I'm going to pull a Terry Gross um, because I know you love her and I know you've listened to her forever. I also know that he doesn't really like to be the center of a talk about himself. But do you know what her first question is and her opener? Always no. Tell me about yourself. Oh, God. 
<laughs> and we're just planning there, right? We have a real no, 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 I don't. I have other questions, but I really wanted to yep, put you on the hot spot. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, well, first I'll say again, it's it's wonderful to be here. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll say all sorts of things, many of which will be humbling uh, and come out of some kind of cauldron, but hopefully they'll make sense. So uh, I guess the most important thing for me to think about telling about is I mm -hmm. myself is I'm a suburban kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I live in the house that uh, my parents uh, bought. Uh, I've always lived here in Massachusetts, always in the same house. I'm a kid of uh, middle class to upper middle class privilege, um, which I was unaware of until um, I started traveling. Um, and when I started traveling, I, I became aware that not only was the world broader, but it was infinitely, infinitely more complicated than anything that I uh, was able to perceive uh, sort of on my own. Uh, my parents were both intellectuals. Uh, they were left of center. They sent me to um, private school in order to in the, in the McCarthy era. Um, and that kind of uh, froze me in a certain kind of, of uh, marginally left liberalism, which comes in and out of uh, favor, <laughs> shall we say. Um, but um, it, it also was a question of growing up around people who were concentrating on letters and music. And uh, I was visual mm -hmm. and my parents weren't. Um, and I went to school where the visual was kind of played down. Um, so I ended up going to art school because I thought it would be easy. It was the most difficult thing I've ever done. It was like going to boot camp. <laughs> RISD at the time, I don't know now, but RISD at the time was filled with mostly male, frustrated artists who took it out on their students. <laughs> And the job that you had as a student was to try to find the few faculty who weren't that. <laughs> and I was lucky, I, I did. I found four or five people who were just wonderful and supportive. And then I, by pure chance, met Walker Evans, mm -hmm. not knowing who he was. Uh, met him in a, uh, a restaurant, a, a lunchtime restaurant in uh, the Heidelberg House in uh, New Haven where uh, people were having three martini lunches. Uh, I mean, it was classic. It was so, there was so much smoke in that room that you couldn't see across the table and everybody was plastered out of their brains. But yet in the middle of it was this wonderfully equally plastered articulate guy <laughs> who I was just fascinated with. I had no idea who he was or what he, what he did. I went back to, um, to Rizzi, um, and asked my friend John McWilliams, uh, have you ever heard of this guy named Walter Evans? And he almost actually took me by the ear <laughs> and took me across the street to the library and took me up and showed me the book American Photographs. And I realized that's what I wanted to do. Not that's what I wanted to do to be Walker Evans, but I wanted to engage the world in a sort of framework mm -hmm. that he used which was, you know, direct confrontation. Mm -hmm. And and so um, even even for, for, for a good 10 years, for a good decade, coming coming up into roughly the middle of, of the pictures that are in this book, because these pictures are all from my early time, um, you know, I was accused of copying Walker Evans. And of course, in high modernism, that's the worst thing you could do. <laughs> On the other hand, at RISD, if you didn't paint abstractly, you were ostracized, right? So it, it, if you didn't use Helvetica, you were ostracized. So there was this crazy thing of you're supposed to invent all these new things with these tools, which were just absolutely frozen in time. They happened to be modern, but they were frozen in time. So it was, it was a, I guess sort of that's who I am. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or that's what, that's what formed me to, to actually the, the start of these, of, of the, the travels that led to these pictures. Yeah, well, what was so interesting for me is this sandwiching that the two of you did, because you start with your essay, April, and that really does give this uh, deep consideration of the confluence of your influences, but your own evolution. And then, you're also talking about 
how this way of seeing, uh, highlighting the vernacular landscape became its own entity within study. And that there's this whole idea of how does the landscape reflect us, um, which is ironic. I was telling Jim that our last session and book was also very heavily influenced with Walker Evans. This is Florida's. And David Campany uh, did this book with Anastasia Samoyotsam. I can never say her name if I'm not looking at it. Samoylova. Um, and Anna went through, in a very modern female road trip, all over Florida, looking through a lens that was very much in conversation, just like you became in conversation with Walker Evans. So it's really interesting how, April, you helped us see that, but then your essay, Jim, really reflected some of what you just said, yeah. but also this idea of um, like Walker Evans' influence on you, uh, but you became this bridge to the future. I like that you mentioned that, that the modernism had a few tools that were stuck in the past. Well, they were stuck in their own past. They, they were making their past. They, they were. Very insistent on it. Well, and it's interesting that we often get there, right? That it's very hard to move uh, forward in the thinking. And I think that's why I spent the time I did talking about how expansive a thinker you are and a critical one and how, you know, it, not signing on to a particular way. I think, I think I have to say that um, I was really lucky. Uh, I worked for Walker Evans. I actually worked with Museum Modern Art as a, what we would now call an unpaid internship for two years printing uh, the photographs or printing, making prints for his 1972 show. Um, and I was thinking about having a career doing that, you know, making, making prints for, mm -hmm. for, other, for other artists and stuff. Um, but I decided to, tr to try teaching and I taught uh, part-time for a, a year or so and then became so interested in it that, that I ended up doing that for 45 years. And I think had I not taught, had I not been, and had I not taught at a school where there were no majors, at a school where photography was, you know, was taken seriously and all that, but it was just one of many things and most of the faculty thought, well, you may take a couple of photography courses, but really you should, you know, paint or whatever. And as time has moved forward, and you know, more and more media, let's say electronic media and so forth, more and more media have been introduced into the curriculum. Of course, that makes this change because the kind of photography that I do and have done consistently for 45 years is not uh, the stuff of a moment. And so it's wonderful to be sort of disrespected at the beginning in a positive way. And disrespected in the middle in a positive way, and disrespected at the end in a positive way, because it always made me question: well, Why am I doing this? And, and what use do I have to to these students? And so, you know, there's a there's a sort of tradition in a lot of art schools where where work, you know, ideas come from down from the mount, mm -hmm. right? And for me, the most interesting ideas always were coming up from the students. Um, a favorite story in my last semester of teaching. I had the last two or three years that I was teaching, I had these wonderful students that I just, I just loved. They were just so smart, so everything about them. And we had this rule that uh, it was okay to bring your phone to class. It was okay to bring your computer to class. It was okay to open your phone and open your computer. But if I caught you, you know, trying to hook up, I would throw you out of the class. Uh, but you were pr presumably looking, looking stuff up in relation to the class. So we were talking about value. And a friend of mine had written, he was a consultant, had written this essay called The Elements of Value. So I had the students read this. And then we were talking about it. And so the question was, how, do, how does art get value? Or what makes it? And I said, well, you know, you could die. <laughs> ups your value but and, but more importantly if, if, if you're not dead yet you, you can make associations with institutions and individuals and so forth that will give you a sort of credence and um, I said you know for example you can look at contemporary artists and, and look at them on the resale you know 
functions and so forth. And you can see how that value can be established. So I noticed this one student had a wonderful nickname, Scoop, S-K-U-P. Scoop was like scooping into her phone. Like, <laughs> and she puts her phone down and says, holy shit, Jim, you're on Christie's. You're relevant. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. So that's that's a funny story, but but I all over over the forty five years, I constantly would get those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank. Punctum, shall we say? Yes. Yes. I still remember because I quoted you your definition of punctum because I asked you and you said it was like getting um, basically like a gut punch kicked in the groin all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, there you go. Which is Pretty much. Yeah, I really like it. Well, I was going to ask if maybe we talk a little bit about Walker Evans, because I think, um, April, you begin with this notion of nostalgia. Um, and then um, your essay is when the present becomes a past. And it's this idea of um, capturing time. But um, Walker Evans had an interesting relationship to time as well and what was contemporary. Um, and I'm gonna make a presumption um, and you guys can both correct me, but- um, <laughs> Or agree. <laughs> or agree, we'll see. Or we can disagree. <laughs> yeah, because it's interesting, but it's almost like, um, I don't know where this notion bubbled up because I've read different things, but it's as if attributes become the subject. And that I think in the landscape, that's something that Walker Evans has done. I think Anna mirrored that. I think you're talking about that. When I listen to Anna talk about why she did what she did and why you were doing what you did and how Walker Evans explored, it's almost like using attributes that you're observing to to understand, investigate your own personal inquiries or uh, questions, almost looking for a sense of place or an understanding of place. And so attributes, like become the subject. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that's a way of seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I'd love to kind of go back to that idea of nostalgia. That was a, we kind of, when we were conceiving of the project in the book, that was almost the first thing I think out of my mouth. The gym is like, I don't want this to be all about, I don't want people to misread this as being about nostalgia, which of course Walker Evans grappled with a lot as well. And I think I started with a quote by him, nostalgia, I hate that word, you know, but it was, it, it's easy. I think when you first see these works to think, oh, he's going on a road trip and he's taking these pictures and isn't that a quirky old sign? And there is that element of it. And of course, people, you know, when they come in to see our show, they, they may well come away with that as the understanding and enjoy the show. And that's perfectly fine. But I think when you have the opportunity to make a book, you have an opportunity to dive deeper into, I think, what the work is really about, which I think, Sib, you kind of mentioned in the beginning. It's, it's, it's about, um, you know, how why is it that Jim is, was so fascinated with the built environment at this particular moment in time? Um, and what does, do these signs that we find, uh, you know, along these old roadsides, what do they say about our cultures, our values, our aspirations as, as a country? Um, and I think that's a more, much more interesting question. Um, and it really is also about how these things were already in a state of deterioration. They were already passing uh, from the uh, past, from the present to the past. Um, today, I would imagine most of them are long gone and disappeared. Um, nostalgia can also veer into this. And I think Jim does a fantastic job in his essay of talking about that problem that you can get nostalgic about something um, that really uh, suggests uh, values that um, maybe we should have been questioning more at the time, <laughs> you know, um, that it's, it's, you know, looking back nostalgically means maybe you're not looking back critically or, you know, with a deeper kind of sensitivity to, you know, how our environment shapes us by the things we, we build in it. So, um, 
you know, I've, and I think that's kind of what, uh, what's so interesting about this work for me is that, um, you know, when we made this acquisition, this group of pictures, what I found so compelling about them is that oftentimes he's isolating, Jim's isolating them visually from the surrounding environment so that you have this, you know, the signs are, you know, divorced, but there's signs in, 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 you know, um, in multiple, multiple sense as physical things, but also I think symbolically as signs, um, as representations of ideas, as manifestations, manifestations of ideas. Um, so Jim, I don't know if you wanted to kind of jump in, cause I think, you know, given all the times we talked about nostalgia and how you think about that. And of course that relationship to Walker Evans, I think the other thing I'll say is that you know, I mean, Walker Evans, um, obviously a really important figure, particularly to Jim personally, but to a whole generation of, of photographers, particularly during this time period. Um, but, he, you know, he was also a complicated person. And, you know, we tend to let hagiography take over sometimes. And, you know, um, there, you know, I think if we if he were alive today, I think there'd be much more there'd be more criticisms of maybe. And if you've read the biographies, you know, he was a complicated uh person personally. Um, and this is not to sort of debunk the myth, so to speak, but I think it's also important to understand that at the time Jim met him, he was an older, he was an older artist. Um, he was also himself looking back on his career and trying to define it for the next generation. The whole, you know, as he's teaching at Yale, and this connects to Jim as well, as you teach, you you get pushed back from your students. You're forced to define what it is you're doing. And it's during this time in various lectures and his teachings that he's talking about and defining the term documentary and nuancing it to say, well, I think documentary style is a better way of, of thinking about this work, that, that it's, it's much more complicated than going out and making a quote unquote objective record of the world. That's not what he was doing. That's not what he was ever doing. But I think, um, you know, that, you know, he's trying to define his own career at this time that, that Jim is kind of working closely with him. So that's a lot of ideas. I just spewed out there, Jim, jump in if you have any. No, no, I think, I think I'm going to also just move this forward because I'm into our conversation, but visually we do have a few other representations. So let me, um, on do that but go ahead Jim do you want to play the music <laughs> and then I can answer the question that's so funny and actually I don't have your music I love oh, this no. song that, well I don't have it rigged for our, oh, our presentation you have to go back to my social media post and I did a reel with a song that Jim likes and uses on the road which was really fun but just quickly to give you a update um Jim's other books and Jim's uh uh portrait of Walker Evans. So I wanted you to see the person that he met. So interesting, the look in his eye here, I find fascinating. And I love the reflection in the mirror and the frames within a frame and all the other things we could talk about here, but I'm gonna move forward. Um, this isn't in the book, um, but I, I'm happy to have that piece to share. And this is kind of what we're talking about, or at least what I was trying to bring up in terms of what's the subject. And when Walker Evans says the persona of the taker is masked by the subject. So but now you can talk on an interesting way to, to flip that quote. If you go back, go ahead. Yeah. The, 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 the subject uh, takes the persona of, of the uh, maker. All right. See, this is what I mean. This is the kind of thing. That so, so he does. you know, I mean, another way to think about it. It's, 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 All right. It's, say it's, it again. It's, the it's subject. A, it's a litmus test. You know, who was it? Frederick Summers said, uh, "If you find yourself going to the zoo more than once, it's because you belong there." <laughs> and and you know, that's a you can apply that oh to everything. God. If, 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 if the pictures, none of the pictures in this book, and none of the pictures really that. Uh, that we even thought of selecting uh, are that different one from the other. There's a mm. common thread and mm -hmm. it's, it's the persona of the taker, but it's also the persona of the subject. Correct. Well, which is exactly what I was trying yeah. to get at with the cauldron. It yeah. goes in both directions. Yeah. And I think that's what you are so masterful at. I mean, he just did it, right? You're going in one direction and he's like, Oops, okay, wait a right minute. Turn. You must have, did you go like the wrong way on some of these <laughs> one way highways or what? Oh, I did. 
Of course he did. Yeah. But, but I was also going to say, and this would be appropriate while we're looking at the yes, pictures, yeah. you know. So, so Walker Evans came of age, um, you know, at a very, very fraught time, mm -hmm. right? Um, the end of the, the sort of roaring slash tsunami of the 20s uh, into the cauldron of the 30s. And by the end of the 30s, he had gained a significant amount of reputation. You know, he, he'd done the book American Photographs, he, et cetera, et cetera. But the culture had no way of supporting his work. So he went into uh, essentially Madison Avenue. He worked for time, he did, did essays and stuff for Fortune. But really, um, he was working in the, in the the know-nothing 50s, mm -hmm. late 40s and 50s and 60s. What was really fascinating to me, and I think it's really interesting in thinking about his, his life, is that towards the end of his life, when photography as an art form became much more of a thing that was generally accepted, and there were many more institutions that collected it, books were published, and so forth and so on, um, there was also a time of tremendous social unrest. Um, and so I think the arc of his life going when he was born in the early 20th century, but really came of, came of age in, in the early mid 20th century, the arc of his sort of mature life went from one huge set of social and political and economic upheavals into the another, yeah. which was the 60s and the early 70s. And so I think it's, I think he found uh, sort of soulmates with the students of that of that period in that time. And it really, it really invigorated his life. He was not physically particularly very well at all in the last five or six years of his life. But yet he was really invigorated by the presence of the, the young people that he dealt with. And frankly, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way. I was thinking, yeah, right? That that has engaged you as well. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the students that I, that I dealt with and, the beginning of my career, seventies, and the students that I've dealt with in the last, say, five to seven years, uh, were had very much had this sort of edgy idealism that was always looking at me and saying, "Okay, prove it. Mm -hmm. You know, cut the mustard here. Why am I? Why am I in this wrong?" And um, and I think that's really important for mm -hmm. all of us to 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 have those kinds of challenges. Mm -hmm. And especially, especially if if your if your your work, your expression, let's say, personal expression, is something that's very uh, at first glance is very lovely, mm -hmm. it doesn't change that much. Mm -hmm. but the, yeah, circumstances, not... the circumstances around the subjects change dramatically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, it's an invitation to enter work without preconceived ideas, which is where I think you're uh, generous that way. You're very much not pretense, but- but I would hope, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely, very open to it. And then I think you put the onus back on your students uh, or anyone else to say, prove why you're doing what you're doing. Um, sure. I think that your book and the images, here are a few of them, that you did that actual explore yourself. So this is a Walker Evans that we're looking at. And Jim does talk about his emulation, which is this mm -hmm. is Jim's image of a not so dissimilar <laughs> so surface uh, and space. And you talked to this as well, April. Um, but then we get into how you've kind of isolated these signs. And when I think about signs, I also thought of the correlation between both of you starting your education in graphics, right? And this idea of signs, symbols, communication, um, and really the, the um, while graphics is, you know, goes back to hieroglyphics, mm -hmm. uh, mass culture doesn't. So where that mashup of graphic design and mass culture and this idea that on your small highways I don't that were numbered are vastly different than what was being whipped by which is the the byways I have a quote and I love this this is from Jim and he says us 11 often runs parallel to the interstates that have supplanted it 
At times so close, you can hear the diesel engines groan while the semis downshift. Awesome. <laughs> the small road frequently wraps around the big one like asphalt ivy that can extend for miles. That's such a good quote and such a description of, of, of what you were, you were capturing. Um, were you were you inspired by these kinds of things like artifice, or were you aware you were um, looking for well, symbols I mean, or I signs? Well, I was. I did take graphic design. I majored in <laughs> it because my my advisor freshman year said you can't draw, so take graphic design. And I mean that's the way it was at least. And and actually, I found a home there. There were two or three teachers there who were just really great and, and helpful, but. You know, I did take an internship at the end of my uh, my time in graphic design as a graphic designer, and I designed an annual report in red. And my my the person I was working for put her arm around <laughs> and sort of led me to tour. Said, "I think you should pursue this photography business." <laughs> she was great. She was a really wonderful person, and uh, and and she was right. But I've never lost the fascination for type for framing for objects for you know the way things look uh, the way the way three dimensions look two dimensionalized mm -hmm. all those kinds of things mm -hmm. are really part of uh, let's say the um, the linguistic structure of, of, of the way I, I try to represent the world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that language linguistic structure April were you drawn as well? I mean, because you started in graphics and kept going into, is that a? Well, you know, maybe subconsciously it wasn't overt. You know, I think I just, I, I, what I like in so many of these pictures, you know, this one's kind of one of his earlier ones from this time period where you, you know, you do have reference to the road and to the signpost, but as you go through the book, um, you know, sometimes the that that collapsing of two dimensional surface and three dimensional surface really comes to the fore in the photographs, um, where you know he's cropping out the the even the the frame of of the sign, so he's showing just a detail of it. And I think that it it forces you. I think when you see images like that, I don't know if we have any in this selection, but we, um, we probably do. Um, I'm going to go forward. We're just the one we're on right now is the bowling ball with the arrow. But mm -hmm. as you said, you can still see there is a road and a field. Ah, and right. then we go to one where you you comment on this as well in your essay. Yeah, I mean, there's what it's great about this is there's like it's a very sort of quote unquote. So don't 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 uh, shoot me, Jim, for saying a simple picture because I know it's not simple to make it. Oh, but you know. Um, and and you start to think, well, what is what is what is the story here? What is going on? And I think this is a perfect example of um, people try. And, and I think that what's great about the image is that you know maybe we don't know. It's just the fact that this thing is out there in the landscape, and it's it's weird and odd, and and you don't quite know the story, but you know that it's interesting and it sparks those questions. And I think that's what's so interesting about so many of these pictures that Jim Jim took. I mean, this is. Um, uh, you know, a pair of hands, you see this still a lot, um, you know, along the roadway, this, you know, it's very American, this sort of manifestation of one's usually Christian faith or assertion of that. And, and, and here, um, you know, in, in, I think the story that actually was behind this was that it was a, a, a sort of a locally grassroots funded project, mm -hmm. um, uh, here in Missouri, I think this is where this picture was taken. Uh, so wait, 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 south, the southwestern corner. Southwestern Missouri, right. And it it was, you know, they kind of ran out of money, I think, yep. um, uh, and were never able to, to finish it. Um, and yet it's still sort of standing locally. I think a lot of people, you know, they knew who the particular sculptor was of this. And um, you know, people who look at it and, and knew what this was in the community really saw this as a symbol of kind of the community coming together to try to make something happen. They didn't quite have the resources. I think if you're coming at it without knowing that story, you could read it as, you know, the fragility of this kind of way of thinking in the landscape. Um, there's a little bit of a sense of humor as well, um, although I think it's also what's great about Jim's work is he's not looking at it with a kind of 
condescension, condescending kind of irony, which I think um, could all you could all too easily do that um, if you were kind of especially traveling across the country and seeing some things that maybe didn't resonate with your own political views or whatever. And then that's something that he's really been able to never, he's been able to avoid that, I think, in his work. Um, so I think those are the kinds of layers that, and the questions that arise when you see this is that, that make the work so compelling to me personally as a, as a curator. Mm-hmm. I'm also looking at this image and thinking of, um, uh, for some reason, it could be so useful today to riff with something about where we are, uh, you know, take it completely out of its context and use it editorially, metaphorically, etc., cetera, um, which I think is, is uh, the power of photography. Um, and then this is exactly what you were talking about in terms of coming in on, on the detail and, and the composition. Except I would add a really interesting exercise, which I've, I've done a couple of times just when I'm fiddling around in front, in front of the computer, is let's say you were to take the, the representation of the woman mm-hmm. and uh, isolate, Here she's diving. And isolate it from the ground that she sits on, mm-hmm. which is of course a, a steel wall mm-hmm. that because the camera is pointing up is, is is causing her to receive mm-hmm. in a way that mm-hmm. kind of makes makes her figure dive. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, if you took all the ground away, it just wouldn't be interesting at all. Because because these things actually do exist. These things all exist and existed in real in real time. Mm-hmm. And even though they were not, uh, many of them were were abandoned. They weren't function functioning. Monetary sense, mm-hmm. they were still functioning, mm-hmm. um, and so like when I go, I just a couple of weeks ago I was in North Dakota, which is a place I've spent a lot of time in, and we we're working with a the museum there, and they were saying, oh, you should go out and see the sign that used to be out on the highway, and now it's in the store. They preserved it and they put it up on the wall. Well, of course, it was like going to a wake. Mm. You know, and there's Uncle Charlie. It's been worked on by the mortuary. Well, sort of like Uncle Charlie, but not really. Mm-hmm. And and so I think it's really important that, that even though, as April says, these there's more and more and more of the, the sort of taking these things out of context. Mm-hmm. There's still just enough context to cause speculation, which mm-hmm. I think April was just narrating the kind mm-hmm. of speculation that which I think is is for me mm-hmm. that's the point. That's, mm-hmm. that's successful. Um, you know, these are not, these are not, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. These are not, even though these are in a museum, they are not collected for a museum. They're not collected. Right. Pictures are collected yes, by yes, the museum. Yes. The okay. things the themselves, objects the themselves. objects are not collected. Because mm-hmm. I, as, I, as I said in uh, uh, one of the quotes, it's something I could, I don't want to rip them down off the wall and mm-hmm. take them away. Yeah, take them away from there. Well, that's what's so interesting. You're all about context yeah. in a way that you want to give um, that sense of place. Someone someone purpose. once told me that a, that a crowbar, a hacksaw, and a U-Haul trailer employed to collect physically rather than visually would better serve my purpose. Photographers always risk stealing aspects of a subject, but outright theft is unacceptable. I only want to take pictures. Yep. And you know what you just made me think of? You reminded me of your favorite term, shits and giggles. Shits and giggles. That's what you were doing that for. It's a British term. (laughs) Doing that for shits and giggles. Shits and giggles. Um, And this idea for me, the spare sharpness, this is Jim's quote, for me, the share sharpness, the reserve and respect do the subjects were magic. And I think that's what we've been sussing out. I want to um, not only move forward, we'll have a couple of more images. This one of the, the lob, the, I don't know, is that a lobster or a fish? It looks kind uh, of lobster-esque. I think, I think it's a lobster. And the smell. Run over by a semi, but it's a lobster. <laughs> and, the, and the scent going through that yeah. waitress's yeah. head is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to ask is some of the bookmaking decisions and, and April jump in with 
um, the journey that you took to make it come to fruition, et cetera. Um, I'm going to start with one specific question because it really intrigued me, which is your end papers. <laughs> so I should have had a photograph of them, but they're so wonderful. And then you do go in on a um, detail. Yeah. And so of course I'm left, and this is like yesterday when I'm thinking about everything. And then I'm like, wait, what? And I have no idea, but something's up. Did you draw? Well, well, wait, the detail, look at the detail. Well, I knew the detail (laughs) for Kansas City was for the museum. That much I got that piece, but this whole map, is this you? Uh, Well, actually it's Jackie, mostly. Interesting, Jim's wife, because they're really wonderful. Well, so, so, sorry, drawings and- I bought this, I bought this huge map. I think it's it's about three foot by five foot, if I remember. I bought this huge map and I got it um, laminated onto back, you know, stiff back. And then Jackie and I started tracing all the trips that I had taken that happened. We did this map in 1977, I think, 76 or 77. So it just happened and we kept the map forever. It just happened that that coincides with the time period of the book. Yeah. So basically all the pictures that are in this book were taken on one of these road trips. Um, so the road trips were assigned different colors. And then we had all these things, the code isn't in here, but we had all these things like where there had been heartbreak, uh, where there were great radio stations, where there was amazing food, um, where uh, I had um, photographed, there were, there, were, there were about 10 things in the code. So cool. And I didn't see a reference to the map. Did you find this April or was this something, Jim, you thought of? How did... I can't remember how it started. I think I think just in our conversations, you said, oh, I have this great map. And then I saw, I said, this is a fantastic map. Yeah. And I, it was kind of a little bit late in the process. Um, right. <laughs> so when you're making a book and you go... go yeah, get digital capture. So, but we were able to use portions of the map as endpapers. We do have a reproduction of the full map in our um, in our gallery, and we have a kind of fold out um, brochure map that so people when they come to see the show um, will be able to kind of experience that whole thing. I mean, I think it's so interesting today because you know I have two teenage girls; they don't even know what a map is. So it's this idea of you know how do you you know, the whole way you orient yourself in a landscape now, so much of it is digital. And I think that's also kind of an interesting thing as well is, you know, what is the difference now between, you know, how do you compare, um, you know, finding yourself in a physical world and orienting yourself versus the way we think about doing that, you know, today with our, with our Google maps and all of that kind of a thing. Um, um, but yeah, I think we, we just, we thought it was great. And, um, so I think also it added that kind of, in a way, was very resonated with the subjects that Jim photographed because there was that wonderful kind of hand illustrated element to it that was very personalized um, that kind of did, had a nice counter to the more, uh, you know, official graphic design concept of the, of the book itself. Mm-hmm. Also, I think um, I just loved and didn't know because I'm looking and I'm seeing these broken hearts. And it looks like, is that a trophy? Yeah, I won, I won a, I was a marathon runner and I won a race. And that was right around, so this map was made right around when Jackie and I were, were first uh, picking up, as they mm-hmm. say. And so, and and Jackie's an illustrator. She She's a wonderful, wonderful illustrator. So she made all these little symbols. Uh, so this little tiny symbol is actually, it's a trophy about this high. Oh. So she made this little trophy and there's, 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 there's um, like the little cameras mm-hmm. are, are really wonderful pictures. I'd love to blow up some of the graphics in here. Was well, there we, a we, meaning we to thought of, I, Yeah, and I, I'm trying to remember what it was. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Because it's all over the place. Yeah, there's, there's several. It was something institutional, and I can't remember exactly what where it was well that's a wonderful so I interrupted just because I was so curious about that but that decision um how you both formulated this because I think that there's interest in how do museums acquire prints and then how does that get 
turned, an idea evolving into a book format. So, um, well, we... I turned to April. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of it has to do with, do you have the money for it? (laughs) Um, And fortunately, you know, when we, you know, Keith Davis, um, former senior curator, and I visited Jim and spent a lot of time looking through these older, older prints. Um, and we're really interested in the early black and white work because it hadn't really, I mean, Jim has included it in some of his publications, but as a group, there was something very distinct about this work because really at the end of this time period, 1977 is when he starts working in color and the, the, the way he's picturing his subjects changes, I, I would say, where he's stepping back. Also, as he's talked about, you know, when he did the courthouse project, he, um, you know, you have to learn how to go inside of a space, right? Up until this point, he's on the outside of a space. Um, so it seemed like a, a an area of his career that really hadn't been looked at closely, that warranted being looked at closely. So we made that selection with with the idea and the, and the intention that we would do an exhibition and a, and a book project based on that. Um, and fortunately, we were we were able to do that. When Jim and I started to talk about the concept for the book, you know, I really... I, I am a strong collaborator and believe that projects are better when one collaborates. And fortunately, Jim, I think, feels the same way. Um, and I, I really thought it was important if he was up for the task um, to have his voice in it, as well as my sort of curatorial art historical voice contextualizing the work to have a kind of a, a more personal essay with from him. Um, and so he, you know, I think took it in a really interesting direction because, I mean, I think the whole process of we had many, many Zoom interviews kind of talking about this work and what it meant. And and, um, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, but at the beginning of our conversations, I think it was this point of, wow, I have to think about this work again. And what did it mean for me when I was making it maybe means something different to me as I'm looking back on it and how, you know, my, my essay, your essay, Jim, um, kind of reflect that fact that that you made it then and that's what it sort of meant then as much as you could understand at the time you're making it and what do you see in it now and and it really is about sort of also a personal kind of journey of what it meant to be uh, a young man at this time in the early 70s trying to navigate the world and figure out how to become an artist really a photographer and, and and what and what, how do I find a subject that is resonant and meaningful? Um, and then we also asked him to do a personal bibliography, which um, was also a great fun, because if anybody knows oh. knows Jim's vast tomes and library, I thought oh. maybe I shouldn't have no, asked April, that. April it was just <laughs> wonderful. That, that was a, those were so much fun, those two days. Yeah, it's a treasure, and and it makes me laugh because I took his class a decade ago. I still haven't finished the assigned readings because you could be in. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I loved loved that that was included. That yeah. was so genius. And, and, and I should I should also say that my understanding is that because this this book is part of a series. Yes, it's it's we we the design of it wanted to fit into our our we had a oh, series. Okay, gotcha. And, and I think. To me, that just makes well. I'll 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 spill spill it right now. So, you know, they're they're artist books, right? They're books that, that are self generated by artists, and they're and they're wonderful. And they're you know books that are sort of published by uh, big fancy publishers mm-hmm. that just say, oh oh well, even before someone dies, they just <laughs> they just take the person and stick them in the in the box, stick them in the book. And then there are books like this, which in the best, 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 best sense of the world, uh, word are institutional. In other mm-hmm. words, the, the book is not just created as, as, a, as, as sort of a slam dunk go ahead mm-hmm. of self-expression by either myself or April or both of us. It's always done with a concern, but well, who's going to read it? And mm-hmm. what's it for? Mm-hmm. And in the case of the museum, what's the community that we serve, and so forth and so on. And those, in the other two books that I've done, it's been the same. You know, they've been, it's been with a, with a museum or with an institution like the Center for Documentary Studies. So there's always been this concern, well, it's not just a book of my photographs. It's, mm-hmm. it's got to have 
it, it kind of has to, have to justify itself in mm. front of a bunch of students, mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that I think is the best, 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 best possible way of work. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want to do it, you know, any other way. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly is is fitting uh, for all of what and who you are. Mm -hmm. I think as well because it's generous and it's contextualized and recontextualized, and then given this deep dive to go into all the ways that, like all the things that went into your cauldron. Yeah. Yeah. But but also when you're working when you're working this way with other people who are you know really completely forthcoming with you and, and have their own opinion and stuff. There's an honesty in the process that 95% of the time in regular life we don't get, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like when, you know, April and I would have discussions and, and, and points of view and, and have real ideas that we might not collide in a nasty way, just collide with, and, mm -hmm. and that was great. The editors that, that I've worked mm -hmm. are just, it's marvelous. The designer, the person who packaged the book, all of those people had, okay, well, you can't do this, mm -hmm. right? Or, well, maybe you should think about that, or you need to change that phrase. And those are all, that experience is marvelous. It's as creative as anything I've ever done. Mm -hmm. so, so I consider myself very super lucky to have done this. And I consider myself super lucky to have been able to work on three books that were essentially all created with the same process. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, yeah, I think that's so reflective because you are by nature collaborative and you're working with a whole host of people who have very considered viewpoints yeah. from very different angles within the field yeah. or their particular field of it is graphic design or book design. But yeah, mm -hmm. and it all comes together in the what is that? The the sum is the sum is more than the parts. What am I reaching for here? The whole is the sum of its parts. Well, it's the whole is beyond all the well, sum perhaps, of its parts, perhaps. right? <laughs> um, again, we have another interesting um, image here of, of inoculation, which of course could be oh, looked God. at again <laughs> here. Like wasn't thinking about the references to to when I was putting the the slide choices together, um, this definitely uh, made me think of uh, our current um, realities, but fascinating to take these out of, of context and look, coffee at its best, another passion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I really appreciated this. This is a quote from Jim, taking a picture is much like listening to an extended monologue or in-depth interview. And by reading your essay and learning that, you know, you got to know Walker Evans on a lot of different levels, but you were sandwiched between what he was thinking, saying, and grappling with, and then going to Susan Sontag oh, yeah, yeah. after yeah. running the Boston Marathon. Yeah. Thank you very much, same day. <laughs> but the idea that her views and how she grappled uh, is also really influenced. Oh, much. I mean, I, I just, well, she was a genius. And and, um, and her her ability to, you know, there, you can certainly challenge some of the things that she said over her career. Um, but by the same token, uh, anyone who wants, it, it read, it, it, Google the, her encounter with Norman Mailer. Hmm. When she well, just put it as a flattens reference. Norman Mailer in five sentences, um, and it just uh, she she was she was a, a, among many other things that she did. She was an old fashioned public intellectual, mm -hmm. and that I think mm -hmm. is 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 something that uh, um, we need more of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and 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 delivery systems for that to get out. In, in ways that uh, you know people people will listen to it here so mm. and maybe act on it so anyway so so yeah so she was uh certainly as far as teaching goes she was probably the biggest influence mm -hmm. on me mm -hmm. um, because because of her 
she and John Tag. <laughs> Photographs are, are, are not of history, they are themselves historical. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I took a quote from her um, that I thought was really appropriate. Um, one of the things that she maintains, and the quote is, the semblance of veracity was at the root of our obsession with photographs. And when I thought about veracity and often have to look things up to think about them, you know, that, that is something that includes truthfulness, authenticity, genuineness, candor, um, exactitude. And I thought those are all attributes that you embody, that your work, well, it does, that really those, you hold those true in the way that you teach and the way that you make your work and the way that you befriend people. Um, it is, you, you lead with that. Yeah, but I've been able to do that, I've been lucky. So, so let me read something. Oh, are you gonna, okay, is it gonna be with the bombs? No, go ahead. Yeah, it's gonna be it with is, the bombs. Yeah, okay. Well, that's it's the quote at the end. Yep. Um, <laughs> Glad, because that was one other question or not question the topic so, I wanted to bring up before um, we go to open it. Yeah, so Jonathan Capehart is a particular uh, idol of mine. Um, if you're not familiar with him, he uh, is an opinion topic columnist for the Washington Post, and he also has his own show on, I think it's MSNBC or NBC, and he's on every Friday night with David Brooks. Um, he's an African-American man, he's probably a wonderful writer, wonderful. So he wrote a piece um, called, uh, so now I can't remember the piece. Oh, the I know. Uh, Hold on, I'll give it to it's, you. It's, because of we, it's uh, being black is exhausting. Being black is exhausting. Being and black in America. Being black in America is exhausting. And and I was starting this. He wrote this uh, a year ago, a little more than a year ago, in late late March or early April, uh, two thousand twenty-one, I think. And I read it, and it was just at the time that I was starting to write. The, the essay for, for the book. And I wanted to address my own privilege, but I wanted to address it in a way that maybe was more interesting than me just talking about it. So this is a quote from the article. Mm -hmm. You know how you might stop and admire a nice house. I don't do that. My admiration is done on the move. You know how you might take a look inside a sweet car parked in the street. I, I look from a distance. And as I consider buying a car, my interior color, color selection will hue towards tan. But better for the police to see me, to see inside in case I get stopped for driving a nice car or whatever, which is why my dream of driving across the country will remain a dream. So the obscenity of the situation that we find ourselves in, in this country um, is so epitomized in what Jonathan Capehart says. And that last sentence frames my admission of my, well, not my admission and embrace of my own privilege. Mm -hmm. You have to recognize these things. You can't, you can't, if you, if you can't recognize them, you're blind mm -hmm. um, by choice or by circumstance. But more important, you, you, you have to recognize them, but you can't, you can't let them freeze you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's yes. a push pull. So, um, so I'm, I'm maybe jumping ahead of what you were going to say. No, no, I was thinking of that. I was, I knew when you were saying I'm fortunate that that was part of what happened. And I know the story that you also share in your essay on the bombs and being at their table to see what the difference of a family, uh, intellectual family like your own, yeah. but in the South. Um, and what their experience was. And you're coming from your Northern uh, bubble, shall we say, into it. And, and as you said, you never thought the same again. This was, this was uh, a friend of mine in, in school uh, who was African-American, is African-American. And, and he and I and another, another friend drove from Boston to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where he, James, uh, with the name James Bond, James uh, lived. And we get to his parents' house and um, you know, they 
welcome us into the house. We're having dinner, whatever. And his brother and sister come in from a voter registration in Alabama, Mississippi. And the brother was Julian Bond, uh, who may or may not be familiar to people, but um, a major figure in the civil rights movement. And so these, this was during the bus burnings and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just sitting there at the table, drinking my Coca-Cola and eating my hamburger or whatever it was, and listening to these stories. And I just, you know, I've never thought the same way since yep. about anything. So important. Well, I think we're run of our time, but I am thrilled to have both of you and so pleased. And I was really just tickled with the book because it did give us a little bit of like a behind the curtains of how Dumbledore became himself over here. And, and you're not going to get it out of him without something like that, like, like a deadline, etc. So thank you everyone for coming. And um, thank you, April, for making the time. And Thanks, Jen, April. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review, share this resource and subscribe. Consider joining our live online conversations and participating in our question and answer sessions with our guests. Registration for these free Zoom talks is on my website under Happening Now, Attend. Links on our episode notes take you to a video of this conversation with visual content. Your participation is essential. Thanks for being a part of our global conversation.